Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it fast. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Yeah, hi there. So um, uh, I'm Peter Johnson from the TigerLink group. Um, Hull City fan, very happy today. Hi, I'm Gitta Thwailen, uh, slightly less happy Swansea City fan, uh, and also a member of the JackCast podcast. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Peter, I'm not going to draw this out any longer. You won! (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, In talking about the the week behind us, uh, do you want me to mention the ownership issue? Uh, we'll get we'll get to that more in the topic, but right now you picked up three points, which you had not done in quite some time. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's fair to say the the last week has been filled with doom and gloom. Uh, I will park the off field issues for the moment and simply say that following a string of defeats and a certain number of injuries. The morale amongst the players, I think, was fairly low and certainly amongst fans, partly because of off-field issues and partly because however dedicated a fan you are, when you keep getting beaten, doesn't matter what league you are and all the excuses you give, you know, it's tough to take. It's tough to take when you have, I think we've had like uh, 60 feet in the row or something like that and... uh, Wow, it's tough to take, particularly when you are playing poorly. The big thing is, I think, when you lose games, uh, if you're a club like Hull City in our position and new to the Premier League, you're looking for a little bit of improvement or a bit of development within those defeats or some positives to take from it, as the cliche goes. And we were struggling to do so until the Watford game last week when... Although we lost 1-0 to a Michael Dawson own goal, we basically put up the shutters pretty nicely and looked a lot more encouraging going forward and could have won the game through Abel Hernandez. Um, As has been thrown around quite a bit, Watford, I think, were the first side for 10 years since, I think, Sunderland beat West Brom or vice versa. First side for 10 years in a Premier League game without actually having a, a shot on target. Uh, because technically, of course, the winning goal was an own goal, so it was not a shot on target. But that was an indicator that although Watford dominated the game to some extent, they didn't create that much and, and make our keeper work too hard. So that was the sort of positive from last week. And there was some encouragement 
because we just felt, well, we haven't been playing that badly. And then today, what happens? Um, the crowd is a small one for a number of reasons, largely the off-field issues. The, the atmosphere was pretty dead, to be honest. And what do you not want to do? You don't want to concede an early goal. Uh, what happens? Curtis Davis, who's been a star recently, chops one of their players, gives away a, chop, uh, a soft uh, penalty. Charlie Austin puts it away, and you think, oh, no, not again. Um, soon after that, our two forwards, Will Keane and Abel Hernandez, both get injured, and both fairly serious in, um, injuries, as I understand. And we had to have Snodgrass and Ember Carney come on, both of whom were not fully fit. And, of course, we had to change the game plan uh, and the formation. And to be honest with you, not really much happened. We were probably, it's probably a touch of damage limitation until the second half. And we survived the second half. And then classically, what happens in football is that sometimes you have a period in the game, however ordinary you are, and even if you're being outplayed in terms of possession. And we had a good five minutes. And for a change in that five minutes, we took the two chances that, were, that we created. And they were actually two very decent goals from Robert Snodgrass, who's been the bright light this season. And secondly, a very good header from a Snodgrass free kick from Michael Dawson, who has actually now won us the last three games, if we include the, uh, the game away in the League Cup at Bristol. Though, of course, the, the second game that he won for us was actually a defeat to Watford, if you see what I mean, because it was no goal. But he scored the winning goal in the last three games, I should say. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, for the remainder of the game, I mean, I think the, the possession stats and the shot stats show that Southampton, I think, had around about 65, something like that, percent of the possession. And they had more shots and more shots on target. But... To be fair to my team, we, we've been a little bit unlucky on occasions in, in the, the games we have lost in recent times. And I think we were due a break. And what happened today was we were given a break and we took full advantage of it. So I carry no guilt with this. Southampton are a very good side. And even allowing for the fact we had a little bit of luck, at the end of the day, we beat them despite having our you know, two first-choice strikers for the day taken off in the first half. So uh, the crowd left very upbeat. It's nice to go into the international break with a win. And uh, I think this will do an awful lot for the confidence of the side because when you are on a rough streak, the big thing is you just have to find a result from somewhere. And it doesn't matter if it's lucky. It really doesn't matter because we've outplayed sides in games and lost. You know, you've just got to take that three points and look no further than that. Yeah, you mentioned some of the injuries up front. Uh, it, do you think Mbokani will kind of be enough to kind of tide the waters till you get some of the other forwards back? Yeah, I think, I'm, I'm not sure if, it, if he has two um, or one more game to, uh, to, to run his suspension, but Adama Diamande, I think he's just got one more, mm. uh, will return. But it... It sounds as if Will Keane, the youngster from Manchester United who started up front today, 
sounds like he's got a knee problem, which could be a serious knee problem. So we could be talking months rather than weeks with him. Um, Abel Hernandez has got a groin problem, which I don't think is straightforward. So I fear it could be at least four weeks and maybe a lot more. So to be honest with you, it may be that we won't see him this side of Christmas. So that would leave us with just the two strikers up front that we have in Diamandi and Mbukani. That might just make it more straightforward for Mike Phelan. I don't know, but I think he'll be looking to strengthen because, uh, you know, we, we don't have that many strikers as it is. So he'll be looking to try and get someone in as soon as possible in January, I would think. Mm, fair enough. All right. Well, on to you, Gitto, as you mentioned in your uh, intro, maybe not as pleased at the moment as Peter is with Swansea's performances of late, a loss to Manchester United today. You did get a consolation goal. Uh, I assume that wasn't enough to really boost the spirits, though? No, it was um, It was a grim day. Um, it, it, I would go as far as saying it was quite possibly the worst performance I've seen from the Swans in the Premier, well, since we brought it to the Premier League. Um, you know, it, it, this season's been really, really difficult for us. We haven't won since the opening day. Um, and other results before the game um, put us under even more pressure today. I mean, Sunderland winning yesterday was a was a, was a real blow. They they went level on points with us. Uh, Middlesbrough getting a late point against Man City, which nobody saw coming. Uh, Burnley winning, of course, um, against Crystal Palace. Um, and to add to that, of course, Hull won and um, West Brom won. So all the teams around us really. Uh, and West Ham, of course, picked up a point against Stoke. So all the teams around us got something this weekend. Um, we've got we've got a pretty good record against Manchester United. Um, before today's game, I think we'd won three of the previous four uh, Premier League fixtures we played against Manchester United. Um, so they're, they're a team actually who we we have enjoyed playing against in the past. We've been we've, we've been a bit of a bogey side for them. Um, but very early on in this game, it, it, it was quite obvious that um, that was not going to be the case this time round. Um, Man United never got out of second gear and, and they absolutely destroyed us. The first half performance was a bit of a shambles, really. Um, Bob Bradley went with um, a 4-4-2, which, you know, looking back, is a, is a, um, a, a, a bit of a, a favourite of his. Um, but it's a formation that's completely uh, new to Swansea. We have not played 4-4-2 since we were in League One. Um, <clears throat> haven't really had the players to do it, and we didn't have the players to do it today. Uh, it just did not work at all. Man United completely overran us in midfield. Um, the, the, they passed the ball about with such ease. It was incredible. We just we we just gave them all the space they wanted in the middle of the park, and they just. But they they just kept possession um, and just ran around ran rings around us um, for the entire first half. Um, the only time they stopped was when they they scored uh, and they scored three goals against us. Um, a mixture really of um, brilliant quality and um, some appalling defending. Um, Pogba's first was was a sensational strike, but the the, the second goal is a real. A, a very rare goalkeeping error from Fabianski. Um, he certainly should have saved that shot. And the third one comes from a, a really poor attempt at a tackle for Angel Rangel, who is looking his age this season. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, and then it was slammed into net by Ibrahimovic. Uh, and w- once they took that three-goal lead, Man United just took their foot off the pedal. They um, they, they coasted for, for the rest of the game. Uh, things improved for us in the second half, but generally it, it was a, a really disappointing performance um, against a team who, you know, on the face of it, were there to be beaten. United haven't been in, a, in good form recently, um, struggled in front of goal, uh, haven't won in quite quite some time, and um, and it, looking at the team sheet too, they they lined up in defence uh, with Ashley Young playing at right back, centre back partnership of Phil Jones and Marcos Rojo, and then Damian playing left back. Um, I, I mean that was a that was a defence that was asking to be breached, and we gave them absolutely nothing to think about. I think we had two shots on target in the entire game, one of them being the goal. Um, you know, when, when you consider how frail Man United were, that that's a real disappointment. But, I mean, generally, the tactics were inexplicable. The effort from the players just wasn't there. Um, and again, a, a recurring theme, they don't look like they believe they can win games. Um, they're so used to losing by now that I, I think they've forgotten what it what it's like to win and what, what it takes to win. Um, confidence is completely shot. And um, on, on top of that, you know, the atmosphere uh, was the nastiest. It's been, well, probably the nastiest atmosphere I can remember at the, at the Liberty Stadium, um, if, if I'm honest. Um, the, the fans really, for the first time, voiced their anger at the... Um, uh, at the new owners, at the old owners, uh, at everybody really, there was um, there the, the, the was uh, real nastiness in the air, um, and, and the, the the whole atmosphere around the club has turned toxic. Um, that the the on the off pitch stuff does not help at all, but on the pitch there's very little to get optimistic about. And you know, Peter there was talking about how brilliant it is to, to get a win again after such a long time without without getting one. Um, I, if I'm being honest, I, I have no idea when Swansea's next win is going to be. Um, we, we, we haven't won since the start of August. And um, when you look at the fixtures that we've got coming up, you know, and, until December, again, they're not winnable matches. Um, and we were looking at Sunderland and thinking, well, they're a team that are worse than us. We should be able to get a win against Sunderland in early December. But of course, Sunderland won yesterday. There is a very real possibility now that we are the worst team in this league. Um, I, I, it's it's just heartbreaking. And if I'm being honest, um, after today, I think I've resigned my fact, myself to the fact that we are probably, well, we're definitely going down. I can't see any kind of, uh, there are no signs that we'll be able to turn this around. Uh, you mentioned there that, you know, you hadn't played the four four two in a very long time and that you didn't have the players for it then and may not now. Uh, what formation would best suit your best 11? Um, I, I think it's still four five one um, because I, 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 we, we've really struggled in midfield this year. Um, we Teams have been able to... Um, to, to overpower us in midfield and overrun uh, overrun us in, in midfield. Um, I, I mean, we, we, we don't have uh, a great selection of holding midfielders to choose from. They're all, they've all got big flaws. Um, 
uh, and it's strange because that was, of course, the um, um, the, the real strength of ours. But um, I mean, be, being perfectly honest, we've got weaknesses all across the pitch. Um, our defence, I don't think we've got a single Premier League quality defender in in the entire squad, which is um, pretty shocking. Um, it has to be said. Um, but fullbacks, centre backs, we we don't have any bit of that quality. Um, our wingers are just so poor um, that they they offer so little, uh, and yet we're entirely dependent on them for um, d- during our attacks because the central midfield is so um, it, it, it's they're struggling so much in games these days just to keep a foothold in the game. They can't really contribute to um, to attacks, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I think we 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 desperately need to get back to um, uh, well, find a system where we can where we can control midfield uh, again, or at least be competitive in midfield. Because at the moment, teams are um, just running right through us. There's no protection for the defence, and and there's no cre- there's no creativity, um, meaning that our strikers are starved of of the ball. Um, I'd like to see us just go back to four five one, which is the formation we've played all along, really, uh, with with the odd exception. Um, but I, I, who are the best players for that? How do we make it work? That's that's really a tough question um, because none of our central midfielders are really putting their hands up at the moment and saying that they are up, up to the job. Um, but it, I mean, it, it, it is tough for Bob Bradley. Uh, he's coming in. He's picked up. Um, a, 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 a squad which is massively out of, uh, out of form, and he's meant to try and turn it around. But I do feel that he's not helping himself with um, some of the selections that he's making um, from one week to the next. He's changing formation, changing the team really drastically. Um, you know, there's no similarity between uh, the the team of one week and the team of the next. Um, it's he, he he just keeps chopping and changing, and that's of course down to the fact that he's he doesn't know what his best team is, and he doesn't he's trying to find a formula that works. But today really did feel like he just said, "Oh, let's just let's just try this." You know, it did it, it didn't seem to have been thought through particularly well um, because it, it was completely inadequate for playing against a team like uh, Manchester United. Um, and we didn't make life difficult for them in any way, um, which you know, we, we basically should have looked at what Burnley did last week um, in getting everybody organised, getting them behind the ball and, 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 and just making themselves difficult to beat when they went to Old Trafford. Uh, we were extremely easy to play against today. And I think that's our real problem. We need to find a, a formation which makes us difficult to play against um, I know that that sounds pretty you know, simplistic and obvious, but um, you know I think we've been a bit too um, naive so far this season, picking teams um, to to go out and attack when, in actual fact, they can't they can't stop the other team, uh, let alone create something for themselves. It is a it is a difficult question. What is our best formation? What how can we turn this into a, a team which will be competitive in the Premier League this season? But one thing's for sure, 4-4-2 is not the formation to go. 
Very troubling things indeed, and we will talk more about those troubles in the topic. Uh, but for now, I'm going to talk about Tottenham Drosper, as we're now being affectionately referred to. Uh, pick up another draw this time against Arsenal in the North London Derby. Uh, it, it was a very interesting match, and I imagine it was probably pretty uh, fun for the neutral, not so much being one of the two teams. Uh, we did try three at the back, which I am uh, a little surprised it took us this long to try just based on the athleticism of, of all of our center backs, uh, both the starters and the backups at each position. Um, so it was interesting that we rolled out that way, uh, and I, I thought it worked quite well. We always knew we had the pace uh, with the players that would be the wing backs in that kind of a setup uh, with Walker and Rose, and, and I thought it was very interesting. Um, <clears throat> Pochettino was asked in it after the, the press conference, and this is the second time he's been asked a question like this. The first one was, uh, when we played Manchester City and they asked him if he learned uh, that he should press City because we had just seen Celtic do it a few days earlier in the Champions League. Pochettino was like, we always press. What the heck are you talking about? They didn't invent the press. Had to do the same thing today. They, he was asked if uh, Chelsea's recent successes are what informed Pochettino's decision to switch to a back three. And he just said Chelsea didn't invent the back three. I thought that was, uh, it must be getting frustrating for him that anytime he changes anything, somebody brings up that uh, the, a formation or a tactic already exists. Football's been going on for a long time. A lot of tactics and formations already exist. Um, but anyway, uh, it did it did work very well for us. We did shut them down for large swaths of the game. There were times when they were able to stretch out those three, which opened up a little bit of space internally. Um, but it was our first time ever playing it uh, in, in a match. So not too worried about that. We'll be interested to see if we stick with it once Toby Alderweireld comes back or if this was more of a one-off to counter the fact that uh, Arsenal do have so much pace and interchanging play when they start Alexis up top. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we stick with that. I, just like uh, Seifu, the, the editor of this show, just said, if nothing else, at least we learned that there's another formation we can play in because Poch was so married to the 4-2-3-1. And... Uh, today's results aside, that's been one of Manchester United's issues this season, is that the 4-2-3-1 doesn't really suit their personnel best, but that Mourinho is just so married to it that it's unlikely to change. Pochettino's been a little more flexible. He is younger, uh, and he did say coming into the season that one of the best things about bringing in Jansen is that it's challenged uh, Pochettino himself tactically. That It's made him ask questions about where people should be lined up, if there are other avenues that can get the best out of our team. And so seeing another example of that, I think, is very promising going forward. Uh, Harry Kane came back was big news. Um, he uh, he looked OK. He, he had some promising chances. He had a diving header uh, that was just a little wide. He does score from a penalty. Um, I was noticing that uh, and, and it may have been because of the formation shift. But one of Jansen's biggest problems is that he constantly backs into defenders, which if there are no wingers overlapping him, means that he's always going to be basically double teamed at all times by center backs because nobody's stretching them out the way I just mentioned Arsenal were able to stretch us out at times today. Uh, and in this new formation, or if it was because Kane was back, we had infinitely more overlapping runs that allowed so much more space. Uh, and the the people that have been heavily critical on Jansen have every right to do so if you want to talk about his goal record and how he's only scored from the spot for us thus far. But he was not necessarily getting the help from the other players he needed. Also, Christian Eriksen probably had his best match in about a month and a half once Kane was back. And you can talk about maybe Kane was getting in better spaces, which allowed Eriksen to find him. Maybe that raised the confidence. But 
you know, look, looking at today's match and saying, oh, see, Kane is infinitely better than Jansen. While it's true that Kane is better of the two. No one's debating that. I just think um, Jansen is being a little hard done by because the performance was better today as soon as Kane was back. Uh, but no issues there. Um, as far as the result goes, draw probably seemed fair. Peter Cech seemed to think so as well. Uh, Arsene Wenger did not. Uh, although he had a bit of a nightmare today. He always wears that sleeping bag jacket and struggled with the zipper yet again. I Just try a different kind of jacket, man. It's very strange that he keeps going back to that one and continually messing it up. Uh, but all in all, yeah, I think a draw, draw was a fair result. Uh, they had a few more technical chances created, but I think some of ours were the better chances, although Otzel did have a rebound opportunity that he skied that absolutely should have been a goal for them. Uh, Erickson had a delightful free kick. Uh, that just needed a glance, or even once it came off the post, if anybody had tucked it in, would have been uh, an easy goal for us. Didn't happen there either. I already mentioned the Kane chance. It was a very exciting match, uh, end-to-end, but I think a draw is fair, if not frustrating uh, for Spurs fans, considering that six of our last seven matches in all competitions have been draws. Would have liked to see a win. Uh, This was not the case as, as last week. Last week I mentioned that I almost would have rather lost in the Premier League. At least it would have been a catalyst. Uh, to, to maybe see some changes, then we lose to Leverkusen. Maybe that is what kind of caused some of these changes. But um, all in all, you take a draw and a derby, and then hopefully, now that Kane's back, we should have Toby Alderweireld back at the back end of this uh, international break. We should be looking the stronger for it. Uh, it is now 451 minutes without a goal from open play. While that is very distressing, some people are implying that we're never going to score a goal from open play again. Uh, Obviously, not the case. But it is frustrating that we aren't able to really string moves together. And then seeing teams like Liverpool play today, it's like, oh, we used to play somewhat like that. That would be nice if we could get back to that. Um, But I'm not going to complain about that too much. Uh, And uh, kind of with the Toby injury, Della Ali missed out today, picked up a knee injury in training yesterday, labeled as semi-serious as Pochettino. Uh, continues to get worse and worse about giving us any information in regards to player injuries. Sounds like it'll probably be two to three weeks, which is unfortunate, although it is coming at the international break. So maybe he'll only miss one match at the back end. Hopefully he'll be back by the Chelsea match. But this just emphasizes a point that I made at the end of last season, which was painful as it was at the time to slip behind Arsenal in the last match of the season. Us finishing third was crucial for us in terms of expectations. We all saw what happened to Liverpool when they finished second the following year, struggled, had to change manager. Um, I just think that uh, the fact that we we slipped down a little bit has given us a little bit of a longer leash. And what we did last year was never fully repeatable. Eight of our most used 11 players had career years. And uh, Jan Vertonghen's injury, which kept him out about two and a half months, was our only significant injury to that 11 all season. Both of those were going to regress. We were going to have more injuries. Players were not going to be in the kind of form they were last season for the whole year. And we're seeing the fruits of that. So all of that considered, the fact that we're you know still just five points off top is not... Uh, the big picture is not that frightening. The, the more frightening thing is how Chelsea have turned things around and how good Liverpool look in attack. Because those are two teams that I wasn't really thinking would factor into... Uh, like locked down top four places. It does now look that way. I think City are going to be fine. I think it will come down uh, between us and Arsenal yet again for that fourth Champions League spot, which will be very frustrating. But all in all, considering the injuries, 
Uh, considering the lack of former players like Erickson, I think the fact that we are where we are on the table is nice. But to really enjoy ourselves, we will need to start seeing some goals in the matches just to kind of boost the spirits. All right, now, Gitto, as promised, we're going to get back to the Swansea thing. It's been a while since we've spoken. So before we get into uh, maybe how to change or, or fix uh, some of the mistakes made by the owners, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, the tweets that you sent out after, I think it was the Swansea Fan Trust meeting, where a whole lot of information came out that was very displeasing. Can you just talk to the folks a little bit about what that was all about? Uh, basically, for, for those who don't know, um, the club was sold in the summer um, to uh, a, an American consortium. Um, the previous owners at the club were um, were seen as heroes. They they really were. They took over the club when it was at its lowest um, uh, ebb, down the bottom of League Two, fighting for survival. Um, they, they put a heck of a lot of their own money in to buy the club, and they lifted us from League Two to the Premier League. Um, you would have thought that that kind of hero status would um, be cemented forever, but, um, well, there are uh, accusations by the Swans Trust. The club have, it's important to stress, that the club haven't released any kind of comment on them um, yet. They've not made any kind of uh, response to to the claims, but um, the, the Trust has well owns about 20% of the club's shares and has a permanent director on the board. Um, it's been quite key to the running of the club over the past, what, 16 years or so. Um, but um, during the uh, uh, takeover deals, um, they, they alleged that they were deliberately kept in the dark so as not to... Um, um, uh, well, well, scupper the deal. Um, they um, when they well, they tried then to buy more shares in the club um, to get it up to twenty five percent, so that they would have a stronger um, say in the way the club was run. Uh, they couldn't get the money together to buy those extra shares, so uh, they uh, made um, a request that um, the selling shareholders, um, all of whom you know. Are, are, are meant to be fans of the club, etc. Um, asking them if they could donate some of their shares to the trust um, in order to maintain the trust's um, strong position within the club. Uh, and basically, uh, it, it was just ignored um, because it would have lowered the amount of money that they would have got for their for their shares. Um, and the, the allegation again is that the, the club, the, the former shareholders, they were desperate to they were desperate to sell, desperate to cash in, and they didn't really um, care who bought the club. They um, they just wanted to get the sale over and done with, um, cash in, and uh, they completely bypassed the trust in the process and deliberately gave them as as little knowledge of what was going on as possible, just to bulldoze the deal through. Um, it's really uh, that, well, that, there were a lot of people who were um, judging the boards, uh, the previous shareholders then anyway for selling the club to um, to, to the Americans. Um, but after after the latest meet, uh, meeting uh, of the Swans Trust, um, you know they've they've become villains. Um, they really have. They've they've gone. It's completely changed now. People are extremely angry. Um, the people who 
had got a lot of kudos for um, you know being supporters who own their club and the, the fairy tale story etc. Um, and and the, 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 they, they were very proud of their mantra and their philosophies. Um, seems that those philosophies were just thrown out the window as soon as it, um, they had the chance to uh, to sell the club. Um, it's really left a nasty taste in the mouth. Um, we never thought this was possible, but um, here we are. And uh, one of the people that got, um, well, that probably the, the one individual who came out of it worse was um, Chairman Hugh Jenkins. Um, they, again, alleged that um, he tried to bully the trust into um, scrapping agreements that they'd made with, um, with with the club in the past, etc. Just, again, to try and get the best deal possible for the shareholders. Um, that since then, actually, uh, the trust itself has just well found itself in a really difficult position because um, it was revealed too that the um, former um, supported director Hugh Coos, who's been on the board uh, ever since the board have had um, um, yeah, ever since sorry, the trust have had a permanent place on the board, uh, he's been the representative. Um, and he's done a lot of great work over the years for the club, but it, it, it has emerged that he um, was getting a salary of around £40,000 a year uh, from the club. Um, and as well as that, he had business dealings um, with, with the club, which really got people asking, well, can you, you know, can you really scrutinise the club and make make well pose those challenging questions to those in authority when you're earning um, your, your corn from from the club um so he has since stood down a new supporters director has been appointed um that's the kind of term of the swans supporters trust did not want at what is already a um a, a very turbulent time for um for the club and for the trust but it's it's all going on really but but the long and short of it is that um the, the former shareholders are um seen that they're, they're seen as basically enemies now um that people feel so let down by what happened. Um, it, it feels like a betrayal, really. And um, those who have not um, shut down their social media accounts uh, are taking a bit of a battering online, if you want to um, look at those in particular, Lee Deneen and um, John von Zweden. Um, so that it's, again, it's, it's caused this horrendous atmosphere on the club, um, a heck of a lot of anger, um, and, and people just feeling massively let down by people who were once, well, not not very long ago, seen as, as real heroes. Yeah, obviously that does not sound like a very good situation at all. Peter, not unfamiliar to dealing with poor ownership. Uh, do you have any kind of kind words or advice for how they can kind of deal with this issue? Uh, not really, because we are in a similar boat and there are a lot of parallels with what Guto has talked about there very eloquently and with a, a great deal of passion I can tell so I can relate to that because when you are a, a committed supporter and you see things happening that are just totally beyond the line of acceptability it's extremely deflating and it has a huge impact on supporters as a, as a whole regardless of the performance on the pitch and when you're struggling on the pitch, then it brings matters to, to the head, obviously. But just really to talk a little bit about our situation in that uh, in our 112-year history, 
the last four years will be viewed as one of great success in that we have had a FA Cup final where we lost to Arsenal narrowly for the first time in our history. Two promotions to the Premier League, the top tier, uh, for only the second and third times in our history, and a dalliance with European football. So on one level, you can say, well, what a great era for Hull City. But to many supporters, in fact, the majority of supporters, it will be remembered not for those glorious events, but for the toxic and poisonous atmospheres created since the Alam family took ownership of our club in 2012. Basically, uh, they arrived with loads of talk about doing something for the community, leading a legacy, joining up with the city of Hull and being part of it, people getting to the ground for £10, and very much a sort of we-want-to-be-part-of-the-people approach to things. And there was a huge wave of optimism at that time that we had owners here who really did care. But from the moment they launched on the madcap idea to change the name of Hull City AFC to Hull Tigers, the rot set in. Basically, uh, Mr. Alam Sr., Asim Alam, said famously, if the FA say no, I walk. Now, to cut a long story short, the FA did say no, but he didn't walk. In fact, three years later, he is still making his way to the exit, and the club has been up for sale for three years. And throughout that three years, our owners appear to have had an approach of, well, our pride is damaged. We haven't got our way. And before we leave this club, we are going to rip it apart. And we're going to get our revenge on the FA. And, and particularly get our revenge on the supporters who, through the City Till We Die group, opposed them and won the battle against them in terms of submissions to the FA, uh, because the FA basically came out and said, no, you can't make that name change, it's ridiculous. And they have never forgiven the fans or the people of Hull for that. Now, to start with, with the name change, there were some fans who would go with, well, OK then, you know, we don't like the name change, but if he's bringing success, then we can forgive that. But the truth is, we have achieved success despite our owners, rather than because of them. Our, sex, our success has been achieved through Steve Bruce and good management and the gathering of some very good players. And the big thing to stress, and there are some parallels with Swansea here, very early on in the campaign to change the name, Mr. Alam Senior made absolutely crazy remarks about fans, describing them as irrelevant. And when the City Till We Die group was referred to in an interview, he said, well, if they want to die, they should go away and die. And he was never forgiven for that. And this culminated most recently in the most ludicrous membership scheme, which was imposed on the fans, in which all concessions have been withdrawn, so there are no reductions for juniors or for pensioners. This has ripped away lots of long-term fans who can't afford to go. 
and it's denied the opportunity for a new generation of Hull City fans, youngsters, to come along. Now, what is more annoying about all of this is that after the City Till We Die group was successful, and I was proud to be part of that, a decision was made by that group to change their emphasis. They were evolved into a Hull City Supporters Trust, which took on um, the Hull City Cooperative, which was an early form of trust group. And it had a very open, transparent, wonderfully modern uh, setup as the Hull City Supporters Trust. It specifically took on people who hadn't been involved in the City Till We Die group in order to say, look, we want a fresh start. But since it began, the Alam family and the club have refused any dialogue with that supporters' trust. The aims of that trust, you know, Swansea, as Guto was outlining, Swansea has been a sort of role model for us. We would like to be in a situation where we have a supporter director on the board, but we are in the early stages of being a supporters' trust. And there's a long way to go. But if you can't even have your club talk to you, then obviously you hit a bit of a dead end. And it's very, very sad for a large number of supporters to see that our owners will not even answer emails from a fully official and established supporters trust. And that is just one of many things that have totally driven fans to despair. Continually, in recent times, we have had an indication that the club is going to be sold. As I say, just to repeat again, the club has been up for sale for three years. Mm. And it was promised by the Lamb family it would be sold fairly swiftly. Three years on, they are just messing around. They love being in the spotlight. Obviously, they want a good deal, but they come up with this ruse that they want to find the right owner for Hull City and not sell to anyone. But the truth is the right owner to them is probably someone who will take forward the name change or will pay an outlandish amount of money. So we've had numerous consortiums uh, interested. Yeah, and we even had you on to, to do a story about the new owners that were about to buy you just a couple of months. Absolutely. We've, and there are currently, I think, four or five interested. And we continually get the impression, because nothing is really known, it's all sort of media talk, that they're employing this tactic of brinkmanship, whereby they are just enjoying playing mischief. They talk, they take the deal so far, but there's a fear they just don't have the intention of selling at all. It is a total shambles, and the fact we've got 10 points within that atmosphere is quite remarkable. Mm. All right. I uh, hate to cut you off, but uh, we need to come to the solutions time. <laughs> Barring just being able to get rid of your owners, which uh, apparently is what both sets of fans largely want. What's one thing the current owners could do that would pacify at least some of the criticism at the moment? Uh, at, at Swansea, um, th we need better communication. Um, there's been very little um, beyond sort of uh, press releases and um, the the odd um, uh, well scripted interview, we we really want well uh, the previous shareholders used to um, come along to uh, the, the, these events held by the trust where fans could ask them questions about everything, what from what was going on the pitch to 
um, you know, the, the the match day experience and and you know making things better for fans. Um, so far, it seems like the new owners are um, reluctant to take part in something like that, and that's not a major surprise because they're not the most popular people uh, in Swansea at the moment. But um, th- there does need to be improved communication between the owners and the fans. Um, it's something we've prided ourselves on for many, many years, and at the moment, fans don't actually know um, what's going on at the club, what is the the, the real um, long-term ambition, why these these people have um, got involved in the club, what they've uh, what, what what they see as the club's potential. What, what, maybe now ask, well, what 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 will they do when? Um, uh, in all likelihood, the Swans are relegated to the Championship. Does that affect the way that they will run this um, this club? The fans have a, a, a lot of questions which still haven't really been answered by the board. Um, they have to be more open. They have to communicate a lot more. When they took over the club, they were very careful to say that one of the reasons they bought the club was because the fans and the great bond between fans and, and the club... Um, you know that they they are, do seem like empty words now because we we've, we've heard nothing from them really. Um, we have to have better communication, or this situation is just going to keep getting more and more sour. Yeah, if I can just take it from the whole city point of view, uh, solutions are not straightforward. But I recently put together a eight point plan for the whole city supporters trust, which I will briefly summarise basically scrap the current membership scheme, which is um, outrageous, get a new one in for 2017-18. It's got to be planned with input from fans and appropriate stakeholders, and we need to get concessions back for the elderly and for for the young. The club has to talk to us. The Alam family don't communicate. There is no consultation with fans, and there's a total atmosphere of mistrust around anything that comes formally from the club. In addition, they need to talk to the council because it was the, it was friction between the club and the council which probably spawned this ridiculous idea for the name change. The big thing is there's been damage done here that needs to be mended, so it's going to take a lot of time to mend. So when we do hopefully get new owners in, the first job is to mend the damage of the last three years We've got to make fans feel valued again because at the moment we have fans boycotting and some of those fans may never return. We, we need to make Hull City head, hit the headlines for the right reasons. We are a UK city of culture uh, next year and if we have this sort of situation, a city of culture for the UK and we have a ridiculous situation with our Premier League football club which should be one, one of the centrepieces of our city of culture and there we are and we can't even talk to each other so uh, I think probably the most fundamental appointment that could take place we have no chief executive and we need to get a chief executive in place who will perhaps in the short term form a sort of um, liaison between club and fans but I think the first job for a new owner is to win back the goodwill of the fans because without it, the club will still be in trouble. Fair enough. All right, and speaking of performances on the pitch, we will wrap up with Player Watch, where we each are going to talk about the players that impressed and disappointed for a club this weekend. If somebody did not technically disappoint, you can mention somebody that impressed from the opposition. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Peter. Who there 
was most impressive for you in the Holland? Yeah, um, I think looking at our performance today, since he arrived from Cardiff for a big fee by our standards, I think £5 million, goalkeeper David Marshall, uh, Scottish international, who may well be in the Scotland goal on Friday when they play England with possibly Fraser Forster, who was playing for Southampton today, and the opposition goal, although I guess Joe Hart may get get the call. But uh, no, Marshall had a really good game today. He started shakily, but he's coming for a, you know, a big a big fee, and he's coming to a side which had suffered a couple of hefty defeats against top class opposition, and it's taken taken him a while to settle. But there were signs today that he is starting to catch his best form and that he could be a very, very good goalkeeper for us. He made a couple of last-ditch saves towards the end of the game, which were vital, one in particular from Charlie Austin. And uh, in terms of man of the match, although Dawson and Snodgrass scored great goals, and there's no doubt that Snodgrass turned the game when he came on, despite being half-fit, I would have to give the man of the match uh, and, and player watch positive to... Um, David Marshall. On the downside, I would have to point, I think, for a second time on this podcast to Ahmed El Mohamedi, who has tremendous ability and he's, it remains popular with the fans, but he's just not buzzing at the moment. And as an attacking force, we really need him with his crosses and his overlapping runs. And he just seems to be slightly jaded at the moment and not totally on his game. And given the fact that two of our back four are out with long-term injuries, that's Andy Robertson and Moses Odebajo, most fans, I think, would agree his performances have been fairly disappointing so far this season. He hasn't played particularly badly all the time, but he's just lacked that sparkle and that, that attacking initiative that we need to get goals. Because despite the two today, we have been desperately short of goals. And it will be our ability to score goals and create chances that will be crucial in our survival in the Premier League. So, Al Mohamedi really needs to get his act together. But uh, star rating today, definitely to David Marshall. Also, uh, a mention to Michael Dawson, who was supreme. And after making an early mistake and giving a penalty away, Curtis Davis, once again, a fine performance. So, uh, mm. they would be my star men for the day. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Gitto might be harder the other way. Uh, is there anybody that stuck out in the positive way or just a lot of disappointment? Uh, there was a heck of a lot of disappointment. Um, I, I, I'll, if anybody had a positive game today, it was probably um, Ki Sung Young, um, who's really struggled for form, um, uh, but was today probably our best player. He didn't have much competition, but he was our best player. He, he at least... Um, uh, he, he showed a bit more sort of bite in his game than we've seen from him. He's, he's had a lot of criticism from fans uh, for being uh, a little bit on the soft side, uh, not really go, you know, jumping into challenges and um, uh, being pretty easy to play against. But but today I thought he um, he passed the ball reasonably well, but put in some big tackles as well. Um, it, it was you know the kind of thing that we wanted to see from the rest of the team too. Uh, in terms of the disappointments, there are so many to choose from. I mean, Fernando Llorente had a very quiet game. Didn't even realise he was playing for most of it. Wayne Routledge, um, he did absolutely nothing right. Um, the, the whole of the first half and was taken off at half-time. 
Um, Leon Britton was very far from his best. The entire defence was was poor. But I think if if I was to give it to anybody, it would have to be Angel Rangel. Um, I, I I love him. He's one of my all time favourite um, Swansea City footballers. I think he's um, he, he's been an amazing servant to us. But um, he was chosen. He was picked today ahead of Kyle Norton. Uh, I'm I'm not a Kyle Norton fan, but um, he. he if you'd seen Angel Rangel's performance away at Stoke on Monday, um, I, I don't know how Bob Bradley could have possibly thought that he, selecting him ahead of Norton was the, was the right thing to do. Um, he had another nightmare. Um, he was con- constantly out of position, um, couldn't read the play. Um, he was torn apart by the United wide players. Um, and uh, when you look at his involvement in the third goal, the Ibrahimovic goal, um, it, he goes in to make a tackle and just, well, you, you can see it for yourself when you, when you watch the highlights tonight, it's a pretty lame attempt at a tackle and it gives uh, Ibrahimovic a, a pretty easy finish um, to, to put the game beyond sight before, before half-time. Um, I don't like saying this because, like I said, I, I love Ranchel, but he is he's the wrong side of 30. Um, he, what, what pace he did have, he's losing it. Um, and I think it's affecting really his, his reading of the game too. It's as if he's trying to compensate for that by jumping into tackles, by um, you know running around like a headless chicken. And it's not really, um, well, it's not working at all. Um, and in a team which lacks leaders, um, there was the possibility that he could really be a leader on the pitch um, this this season when he played. But he, he just he just can't do it anymore in the Premier League, sadly. Um, and I, I'd love to see him stay at the club. Hopefully, one day. I, I, I've said before that I, I you know he'd be a um, he could make a very good manager or coach of Swansea one day. But I think. Really, it, it it explains a lot about why we are where we are. When you see players like aging players like Angel Rangel still getting um, starts in the Premier League against teams like Man United, when they um, are, are quite some way beyond their best, um, probably explains a lot why we are where we are. But um, he was certainly not the only poor performer today. Mm. Was was he the one that skewed that shot crazy wide? Yes, it was. Oh, that was not great. Um, for Tottenham, I think Musa Dembele, who we thought was going to miss out until late, late last night. Um, that's Saturday night for those listening to this on a day that's not Sunday. Um, we randomly passed the late fitness test and was so crucial for us here in the penalty. I can see why some people are calling it a soft penalty, but look at the feet. Because Dembele gets both of his feet trapped by one of, I think it was Monreal's feet. And uh, without being able to use either foot, you, you tend to fall down when you're moving forward. Um, but anyway, it may be sold a little bit. But that aside, he was diving past people all day. Diving was a poor choice after talking about penalties. Uh, <laughs> don't know how to fix that. Gliding. How about that? He was gliding past people all day, putting in tackles, had a goal block. Um, but where Arsenal had kind of a breakaway and he just got his foot in front of it. Which, to be fair, a lot of our players did. Uh, in the last five or ten minutes, Arsenal were really knocking on the door there. But uh, Dembele was very, very pleased with 
uh, what we saw out of him. And he is so crucial to what we're trying to do. And even in a slightly altered role, playing a little bit further forward today, uh, was still terrific. So was was very pleased with him. Uh, and Pochettino once said, without Musa Dembele, there's no Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously, on a large scale, there's no player bigger than the club. But I think what he's really alluding to is how important he is to our style, and uh, specifically the press. Uh, nobody particularly disappointed. Uh, so I'm going to go the other side and say Mesut Ozil. The, the Vimmer own goal was entirely because Otso put that ball in the perfect spot. You could say that uh, some of those Arsenal players were offside. For me, uh, I don't think that they were close enough to Lloris to really initiate that new ruling uh, where if they're near the goalkeeper or shielding or interference or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, and to me, I do think Koscielny was on, and he's the one that was challenging for it. So weirdly, I'm the Spurs fan not complaining about that call. Uh, the ball was just so good in, in from Otzel, and he was very good on the day overall. They, they had several chances that they really probably should have scored on on fast breaks, but we either deflected or the passes went awry from other players. Uh, I can think of one where Awobi just couldn't get his foot on it. But all in all, I think Mesut Otzel had a fantastic match and is starting to look more like the player we saw last year. Weirdly, uh, despite leading the league in chances created and assists last year, he was pretty far down those lists this year. He was actually scoring more than he was creating um, and even as a rival, seeing Otzel at his best is excellent to watch. I just wish that he wouldn't do it against us. And with that, we are done for the day. So why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? Okay, I'm uh, Peter Johnson. I'm editor of TigerLink, Hull City supporter group at www.tigerlink.co.uk and on Twitter and on Facebook under TigerLink. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me again. Uh, the Jackcast uh, can be found on Twitter at the Jackcast. Um, we are um, <laughs> presently trying to decide whether we actually record one this this week because they're becoming so miserable that um, we we may be pushing people over the edge. Um, but we may or may not have one up uh, this week. But stay tuned anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, thank you to both of you for joining. I am Kevin DeVries at Kevroff on Twitter. Uh, we've had some weird delays the past week, so sorry about that. We will have a couple of club updates for you this week. And then once the internationals get going, we'll probably have some international updates for you as well. Get to those should be fun, at least. For Wales. Yeah, yeah. We, right? we're, just, we're just looking forward to the international <laughs> And not seeing Swansea anymore. So um, a Welsh football fan looking forward to the international breaks. It's so strange. It's the opposite of English fans, for sure. Um, all right. Uh, you can find this show, uh, as well as the Championship Roundtable and the FPL Roundtable, at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or on iTunes. Also, some of our stuff goes through allinsportstalk.com, so be, uh, feel free to go check them out over there. Uh, also, I write for the Eagles of Beak fantasy stuff, but probably not this week, as it is the international break, which you just alluded to. Um, I'm sure there's other stuff, but just check me out on Twitter, at Kavroff. I'll be talking about everything that's happening over there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, as always, and we hope you keep listening. <laughs>